right, so maybe if you've um, not been here since the beginning of our, our vision series, what we've been doing at the start of January is we're looking at some of the things that are really the heartbeat of what we're about as Forest Town Church. And our vision is very, very simple. It is not up on the board, but it's we are um, rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. And so the last two weeks, Ant uh, very wonderfully looked at the whole thing of how the Word of God is such a central part to who we are as believers. And that as a church, we really want to root ourselves in the Word of God as a, as a platform and a foundation for our lives. Um, so if you haven't heard those two, you can catch that up on the, the podcast. And so this week, what I'd like to unpack is the second part of our, our vision statement, which is planted in family. And uh, we love that Forest Town is not just a, a place to come and meet together, but we really want to build this into a church where people are known and loved and that this is a, a family. Um, I know there are many different models of church and how church can be run, and sometimes church can feel like a business and orchestrated in a very kind of a official way, but we want this to feel like home when you walk in, that you can feel that people know you, people love you, and you can be yourself. So I want to just unpack something of that today. And one of the things we're also going to be looking at a bit later is our life groups and uh, just as a wonderful tool for people to get to know each other more closely and more deeply. And so I'm going to start off this morning. I want to call what I'm talking about is loving each other deeply from the heart, which is how Paul describes the essence of Christian community. And um, I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And I know very often um, it's almost become the cliched portion that you preach at weddings. Um, but really when Paul gave this, this, these words from 1 Corinthians 13, he was addressing <clears throat> the Corinthian church, um, a church that was in a, in a particular place of growth, and I can give you a bit of context. It was a very growing, vibrant, spiritful church. There were many wonderful things about this community. Um, but it was also a church in its rapid growth um, that had areas of immaturity that Paul really needed to challenge and strengthen them in. And one of the areas that he wanted them to grow in was that a sign of their immaturity was that they had started to form camps around different people in the church and their perspectives of what church should be like and who was more important. And so Paul has to address that in the Corinthian church. And another area that he had to address was um, that the Corinthians had really feelings of pride that because they had so many spiritual gifts, they rather looked down on others who they didn't see as quite as spiritual as them. And so there was a super spirituality that started to happen that wasn't the heart of Jesus. And then uh, the city of Corinth was a, a Greek city where there was a lot of Greek intellectual thought. And um, some of them were very proud that their doctrines denied the resurrection and the supernatural. So there were all these different little factions within this growing church that although it had many wonderful qualities, there were things that Paul needed to address. And so through the book of Corinthians, he addresses some of these and other subjects that he goes through. But right in the middle of his whole discourse addressing all these different issues, we see this beautiful chapter on love 
in in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, Paul, in this chapter, he distills the essence of Christian community into the simple understanding that we may often think many things are important in church life, but the foundation of a healthy church is how we show God's love to one another. If that is what we are known for, that is the greatest thing to be known for. You know, we can have lots of things in place and have lots of events and programs. Uh, We can have great preaching. We can have the gifts flowing. We can have all of those things. But Paul says in the end, what really counts is that we love one another. And so I'm just going to take this passage, and I hope we don't all switch off if you know it very well. But let's listen with fresh ears. Listen and ask God to come and show us how can we as a church family allow this to be the foundation and the root of how we are planted in a family together. So I'm just going to read the first three verses, and I think they're up there for you. It says in verse uh, 3, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Really, really beautiful words, but very powerful. Um, so the first thing out of that portion that we get that Paul is saying, he says, love is greater than the greatest gifts. Love is greater than the greatest gifts. Paul is saying that Christian love is so great that even the most admired spiritual gifts are worthless in comparison. Um, And I love the spiritual gifts. I'm the first one to champion that and to see us flowing in the gifts of healing and and prophecy and uh, words of knowledge and all those wonderful gifts. But they are worthless compared to this wonderful thing of God's love. God asks us to be loving far more then he asks us to display the gifts. That is more important. The gifts are an outworking of that love, but love is the most important. It's the most wonderful display of his heart. And the second thing is that love is greater than the greatest talents of speaking and knowledge. Um, It's a wonderful thing to be able to prophesy or to speak to others in an eloquent way. But Paul is saying that our Our spiritual stature is measured by our love for others rather than our proficiency in these gifts. If you want to see someone who has deep spiritual maturity, they might have external gifts, but it's actually how, how do we love one another? How do we care for one another? How do we look out for each other? Love is greater than the greatest achievements. This little saying, if I have faith to move mountains, that was a common Jewish idiom at the time. And it just meant another way of saying to do the impossible. So the most impossible thing to do is to move a mountain. I don't know if any of you have had opportunity to move mountains recently. But it's a way of saying a really difficult thing that you've been able to achieve. 
And Paul is saying is, even if we managed to do great things, that all our impressive achievements don't mean anything if they are done without loving kindness. It's very sobering, isn't it? It puts things into perspective. Uh, maybe it puts our work life into perspective or our goals into perspective of what we want to attain with our lives. Or even as a church, we could do a fantastic renovation. But if the heart is not love, it's not a really impressive achievement at all. Love is greater than the greatest sacrifices. Paul says, giving away all our possessions or even sacrificing our very lives gains us no reward in heaven if it's not done for motives other than love. These are strong words. Um, to give up your life for someone, I suppose, I can't think of many motives that one would do that without, other than love. But to, to think that maybe you would do something greatly sacrificial and uh, for the Lord to say uh, those motives were not to, to edify and build up and love others um, <clears throat> is a very hard thing to maybe face. And even as I'm reading this, I hope you're not hearing it in a condemning way. Um, I really think when Paul was saying these things, he was wanting to inspire us. He was wanting to let us move to something greater. So let's unpack then in the next few verses from verse 4 to 7, what is love? What is love? And we've got these beautiful descriptions. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Sometimes what's uh, really helpful is to put where it says love, is sometimes putting your own name there, then it gets a little squirmish. If I go, Helen is patient, and I go, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> but love is, a, is, this is something God, uh, Paul is trying to inspire us to understand what this beautiful quality of love is. So love is patient. Uh, I would say patience, another way of saying it, is slowness to act. Love slows us down when we are inclined to act too hastily. It is being slow to speak, slow to get angry, slow to act in a way that will hurt another person. You see, hate makes us jump to conclusions about people. Hate makes us jump into situations too quickly and hastily. But love restrains us. It helps us endure situations that maybe have caused us offense or resentment. And Christ is our greatest example as his love restrained him when he faced enmity and slander from those around him. Love is patient. And then Paul says, love is kind. I remember with, uh, when we were growing up and my sisters and I always used to fight with each other. My grandfather lived with us. And I can still hear his voice saying to us girls, be ye kind to one another. It was, it was his, his kind of little thing that he always used to say to us. And I think after a while we used to say it to one another. And I don't know that we were kind, but be kind to one another was our, our family motto. 
Love is actively and intentionally being kind to another person. Um, sometimes kindness takes forethought. It takes stepping back and thinking, how can I respond in this way? I, I, I think kindness is a tenderness. It's a gentleness. It's, it's being to someone what they need, not necessarily what you need. And just as God makes the sun shine on the good and the evil, so the kindly person has a warm heart to people everywhere. Hi, guys. That's oh, so nice to see you all. I don't want to embarrass you, but welcome. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so God, God makes his sun shine on everybody, and a kindly heart is someone who's able to be kind to people who are nice to you and people who are not nice to you. Loving kindness is a bomb that heals broken hearts. If, if, uh, if, if someone is hurting and you show them kindness, it's, it can thaw that icy part of them where they're actually just feeling so tender or just guarded. Kindness comes to bring healing in our hearts. Then Paul says, love does not envy or boast. Boasting refers to the way that we talk. Um, and it usually comes when we feel superior to others and in the way we can subtly put others down in our conversations. Rather, love sees the value in others without being insecure and jealous and threatened. Love is not arrogant or rude. When we're full of pride, um, that's when we're full of admiration for ourselves. And uh, we don't really think there's anything we need to change about ourselves. There's nothing we need to repent of. And this can sometimes cause us to treat others with a disdain or scorn. Uh, I think um, if there's one thing I've always had to wrestle most with in my life, it's probably pride and arrogance. And it's something that um, I've been through some really, really hard times in my life where God has actually brought me to a place where I've actually realized that humility is the most beautiful, sweet thing when you realize that only you are there because of the grace and kindness of God. It is the most wonderful thing when one understands this humility. And, um, and I think it's also wonderful because it affects how we see others just as we see how God is kind to us. Whereas arrogance can also be something that makes us rebellious and refuses to play team. Uh, it chooses to be always asserting its own rather than working in submission. Love does not insist on its own way. I think this is probably one of the ways that our Western culture shows its most unloving face. Um, it's a really hard one because one of the things that is wonderful about Western culture is we've been able to elevate the rights of those who are oppressed and, and really champion those who are my, my, um, ostracized or a minority in society, and that's what we should do. But on the other side is we've so emphasized our personal rights that we've forgotten that love is about laying them down for the good of others. Sin is self-centeredness, it's self-love, but love reverses selfishness. Love's, love leads us to being public-spirited and sympathetic, looking to the edification of the wider community or the other person in the relationship, even at the expense of our own preferences. 
Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. I know this in my life. When I get a little bit scratchy and irritable and just, I'm sure none of you ever get irritable. No. If I get like that, I know it's time I need to reconnect with God and rekindle my love and affection for him and for others. I've got this saying that I always use when we do marriage counseling. I, I kind of made it up a few years ago. I think it's quite clever, but you might not. It's, um, I say that intimacy is the oil that keeps the cogs of life running smoothly. And um, in marriage, intimacy in the sense of that emotional intimacy, keeping your hearts open and soft to one another, and obviously also sexual intimacy, it's like a beautiful oil that keeps that relationship running smoothly. And we need that also in our our other relationships as well. We need our hearts soft to God to, to have that place where he's open to put his finger on our lives and to speak into our lives. And the same in our other relationships as well. It's a It's a place where God can come and soften those parts of us that are feeling scratchy. Because the reality is we can't love one another in our own strength. We need God's empowering grace. So for me, irritability is like a little flag saying, go back, go back to the Lord, go back to that place of reconnecting. And when we say love is not irritable and resentful, love lets people off the hook. And it doesn't nurse an offense through slander and gossip. Isn't that how we naturally are inclined? We just get a little offense, a little niggle in our hearts. And we just want to tell someone how we've been so wronged. And then with, before you know it, that person is saying, do you know how that person was so wronged? And they tell someone else. And then this person says, do you know how that someone, someone told me that that person was so wrong? And before, the Bible says... It says offense or bitterness is like a yeast that spreads through the whole loaf. It doesn't spread love. (laughs) It spreads an unkindness. So love is not resentful. It doesn't hold on to things. It gives people a fresh start. It forgives from the heart. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Um, I never... I hope we never rejoice at someone else's misfortune or calamity. Love delights in honesty and rejoices when righteousness shines through and is not tempted to thoughts and behaviors that grieves God's heart or hurts others. And the last little portion, it says there, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears up under distress of hate or opposition from another person. Yeah, that's why we have a spare one now. I remember when I was in a a time many years ago, I had a very difficult relationship and... um, It was something that really tested me. And I had to, every morning I used to get up and I used to say, I choose joy and I choose to love this person in my life. And that's what love does. It bears up even when it's a hard and difficult relationship. Love 
is the opposite of having a skeptical spirit. Love never loses hope that God can work out every situation for the best. So maybe you're in a situation or relationship where you're just saying, this is too hard. Love doesn't give up. It doesn't give up hope that God can turn any situation. God can move a mountain. Love never gives up. Even when it's rebuffed or refused, it goes on. Love is not uh, just given out when it receives love in return. Love loves relentlessly. I love there's that song that we sing, his love, he relentlessly pursues us. And that's how God is towards us. You see, in all these different descriptions that we've had of what Christian community and Christian love should look like, I suppose every one of those words could be applied to Jesus. More than anyone, he bears with us. He gives us everlasting life to let us know that he always has hope for us. More wonderfully than anything, he always perseveres with us and he never gives up on us. He says he will never leave us or forsake us. God's love is made flesh in Jesus. Jesus is the really perfect one of all of these different qualities that we've just expounded on love. So the question is, how do we live out this love? And if we're all honest, deep down, our conscience is probably very unsettled at the sermon going, unless you were listening, thinking, oh, that person should do that more, that person should be more loving, like, oh, my husband should hear that one. We, we, can, we can listen to sermons like that. Or we can just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? But I don't know about you, even in preparing it, I was going, ooh, I've got to stand up and teach this. I'm not exactly perfect in this. And none of us are. Um, we all fall hopelessly short of this beautiful agape love that Paul describes. And yet Paul is saying that this is how we are to live out our Christian life, and especially how we are to be towards one another in our church family. And I want to say, how do we do this? I think we start simply by acknowledging that we all need the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. Um, this love is God's love, and we cannot live it in our own strength. And it comes when we daily learn to receive his love and grace for our lives. It may mean waking up in the morning and saying, Lord Jesus, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength and the power to love by your Spirit, because in myself, I cannot do that. I think it also comes when we read God's Word. God's Word is sometimes described as water that washes us and cleanses us. And so sometimes we have all kinds of offenses and attitudes and perspectives that are not very loving. And as we read God's word, it's amazing. It's just all, almost like a chiropractor. He clicks everything into place and we get in line with his heart, with his love again, allowing the word to wash us and cleanse us. Paul, uh, John, in the gospel, uh, the letter of John, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Isn't that a wonderful thing? We can come to God daily and just have him cleanse our hearts from where we've maybe not been loving. And uh, the Bible says we are not to live in condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I cannot emphasize that enough. We should not as Christians be walking around feeling condemned. If the Holy Spirit convicts us, we simply confess, repent, and ask for forgiveness. We should not be walking around feeling condemned. Christ has taken every mistake that we've made and he's put it on the cross. And uh, if you're feeling always put down and feeling terrible, that's probably the devil. (laughs) The Lord, when he convicts us, his voice is gentle and he comes and he reassures us of his forgiveness and his way forward. And then, as I said earlier, forgive quickly. If someone offends you, just forgive them. In, I'm not saying if it's something very, very serious and you, you don't want to just like dismiss and say, oh, I forgive you. I'm not talking about a flippancy, but I'm talking about a lifestyle of forgiving as a lifestyle and quickly so that that thing doesn't take root in your heart. It says so that the sun doesn't go down on your anger and gives the devil a foothold in your life to cultivate that as a lifestyle. One of my favorite little verses from Song of Songs is, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyard that is in bloom. And I want to say, Forest Town, this is a vineyard in bloom. God is doing such beautiful things in this community, just knitting hearts and making this a fruitful, loving, kind place. But in that verse, it spoke about little foxes that would run through the vineyard and destroy all the things that were being ready to blossom. And when we, when we allow our hearts to go unchecked, when we allow the little foxes in our hearts just to run rampant, what it does is it spoils the beautiful thing that God is doing. Your heart is not just about you. It is a heart that affects many And so we are to take care of our own hearts as a wonderful way of taking care of our church family and community. When we choose to sow to the Spirit instead of to our fleshly nature, we start to see the life of God abound in our relationships and with others, where there is no gossip, no unkind thoughts, but instead generosity, hospitality, and graciousness. And I do want to commend this beautiful family. I only feel loved from all of you. I just want to say this is an amazingly loving family. And uh, I do, with all the things that we're aiming at when we're talking about our vision as a church, we want to be intentional. We want to say we want to aim at these things and be very specific about them. Because what happens if we're not intentional, other things start to creep in. So when we say we want to love each other, let's be intentional about choosing to love, choosing to be kind, choosing to be patient so that we can be the the family that God wants us to be. Is that all good?